The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum and we are joined in studio by uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin North West, spokesperson on local government and convener of the Oireachtas American Committee. Something I knew absolutely nothing about. Didn't know it existed. Paul McAuliffe, uh, you're very welcome. Uh, Rose Conway Walsh and Fianna TD for Mayo, party spokesperson on public expenditure and national development plan and reform and heading to Mayo, Mayo. I presume. Yes. Straight away, as soon as I get out of here. As soon as you get out of here. We'll <laughs> have you out before to be, 12. The place to or, be today. And Larry Donnelly coming in the other direction, law lecturer at the University of Galway and columnist with the journal.ie. Uh, Larry, you're very welcome as well. So I'll go to the two politicians first. Uh, your impressions of Joe Biden. Paul. Well, I suppose Joe was the star of the show yesterday, but uh, I suppose I was very uh, keen to see the huge delegation that came with him, like Secretary Blinken, uh, really large congressional delegation. And I suppose we might talk about it later on, about the power of Irish America. But much of what happens isn't at the presidential level, but actually it's what happens on Capitol Hill. Uh, And we had very, very senior uh, congressional leaders, Mary Gay Scanlon, Richie Neal, Debbie Dingell, they made a decision to come with the, with the now, president. Were they doing loads of bilaterals uh, themselves or uh, were they just hanging around with the, the entourage? My, my criticism of the Department of Foreign Affairs is that we could have been doing more. Um, myself and Senator Malcolm Byrne, our conveners of the US Oireachtas Group, uh, that we have these for lots of different countries. We're the largest. We've nearly 34 members uh, and we're, we're quite active. So we have a lot of stuff going on outside of the day, you know, on the 364 days of the year. Um, so it was great to catch up with them. To get meetings with those people is, re- is really tricky. So for us to be able to spend a very good considerable amount of time with them uh, and for them to feel part of the day I think was really important so President Biden will have a huge impact in terms of the, the, the I suppose the glamour of the trip but I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of relationships being built uh, under under the surface and politics is a contact sport and diplomacy is a contact sport yeah. and that's where you, that's where you can make things happen Rose? Your yeah, impressions of Joe Biden? Well, I met him before when he came to Mayo in 2016. I think that time, I think I very much welcome this visit. I think there's this kind of probably three prongs to it for me. And the first is he's here because of the Good Friday Agreement and the anniversary there. And I think that's enormously important. And I think his visit to the North was and the messages he gave there, I think, were very important. Then in the Iraq this yesterday, the other political messages he gave, I suppose, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, the relationship and the importance of the relationship between Ireland and Britain. What stands out is he is so comfortable here. I mean, he said about, you know, being Sawalia. You know, he was Sawalia yesterday, but he'll certainly be Sawalia in Mayo. (laughs) And from a Mayo point of view, I mean, there's great excitement there. There's there's great excitement that he's coming to knock, that he's coming to knock Basilica as well, I think, for a private visit there. I think everyone welcomes that. The North Mayo Genealogy Centre as well. I think that's a little known centre, but they do fabulous work there. So I think even putting a place like that on the map uh, will encourage people to come. And I think it'll be absolutely spectacular in Balna tonight against the cathedral and the river there. I think it lends itself to something very special. So all of that together. I thought it was important yesterday as well. Jerry Butterman mentioned it around the undocumented Irish yeah. and what needs to be done there. So there were political messages uh, there, I think, that are in, important uh, for us going forward. So what did you make of Arlene's contribution to the the last few days, uh, claiming that Joe Biden hates... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think she's totally wrong. That That is not the case at all. But that's often, you know, th- that narrative is often perpetrated. I think the unionists have lost out here. Um, you know, I think they've been shown to be um, not 
not exactly with the programme, uh, but I think Narlene Foster was was completely wrong. I think what Joe Biden, I think he was very sensitive in the way that he handled things in the North. But the bottom line is, mm. had the institutions been back up and running, it would have been a different picture in the North. Mm. They need to, um, you know, he everybody is allowing space for the DUP. But at the end of the day, it's the DUP that are blocking the institutions from being back up and running. So I think that's important. And I hope mm. this will give new impotence. I also hope it will give new impotence for the Good but Friday it, Agreement. It's extraordinary that someone who's been a first minister Minister and, you know, a long political career like Arlene Foster, that her probably her personal experiences in her own family because of the troubles and so on is still with her in a visceral way. And maybe she can't help herself. Well, you know, it's not for me to judge that everybody has to process themselves in what happens uh, in their own lives and, and the different things that but, happen but in their but own lives. The life. acknowledgement that unionist power is ebbing away. Yeah. Yes, it is. And then, you know, and that's why I think that there needs to be engagement there and proper engagement around looking to the future. You know, we're 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement. We have to look forward to the next 25 years and how we shape that. And it's important that unionism is uh, is part of all of that. We shouldn't underestimate that Arlene is now uh, kind of in the the business of being a shock jock uh, and a media personality. Uh, So, but I think the broad stream of unionism, I heard Geoffrey Donaldson being very balanced. Um, Look, both Rose and I believe in a united Ireland, but we very different ways of getting there. My way is by listening to the unionist community and making them feel included. Well, it uh, certainly is our way too, you know. Well, it, 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 you know, did I, a bad job of that for a long time, Rose. But no, anyway, it's, it's but about it, shaping a new Ireland. My, my, you know, point is, my point is, we have to bring unionism with us on this journey and they're going to be slow uh, and they're going to be reluctant and they're going to be resistant at times. But um. the, the, the role of America is not to be in the very subtleties of diplomacy. The role of America is to encourage us to keep going with the peace process and that's what we have to keep doing. All right. Now, uh, Larry, I never thought I'd hear Arlene Foster described as a shock jock. <laughs> it's a phrase that will stick with me. Um, your impressions of the visit as a, a, an American but Irish resident and, uh, you know, whether everything, whether all, all the tone was just got right for, for once, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think this trip has been a real blend uh, of the personal and the political, and indeed the two overlapped at different times. Uh, I think that Joe Biden's speech at Ulster University was pitch perfect. I think he hit all of the right notes. Uh, I think that the way he he paid tribute to um, the contribution of the Ulster Scots to the United States, as well as his father's own English background, uh, I thought that was significant. I thought it was something of an olive branch to uh, a unionist community that hasn't always seen eye to eye with Joe Biden. And let's face it, uh, he has arguably made statements in the past that weren't helpful or constructive. And then he goes and mentions the black and tans. Well, <laughs> l- let me say one more thing. I thought I thought what he, one of the other things he said in the speech at Ulster University, and again, this was, uh, I think, targeted directly at the unionist community who would view him with some suspicion, was that this is a decision for the people of Northern Ireland. I'm not here to tell you what to do. And I thought that was a really good way of putting it for a president of the United States. Now, as you say, um, I think that the in, the reference to the black and tans was completely inadvertent. I think it was a slip of the tongue and yeah. he makes those all the time. It's just a, a fact of who Joe Biden is. Um, but I think perhaps uh, the statement in the Oireachtas, I think, is what many unionists might cling on to. This idea that uh, the United Kingdom should work closer uh, with Ireland on Northern Ireland. Uh, I think that that went down reasonably well with the audience, uh, uh, the houses of the Oireachtas, but uh, I think it went down rather differently uh, in the unionist community. So did he walk back some of the nuance, some of the goodwill, et cetera, um, with that comment? I don't know. I think overall, uh, I think the balance was pretty good, but um, you know, certainly was a mix, mix, some mixed messaging, at least arguably. 
Rob Carney said he spent most of yesterday trying to uh, explain th- that it was just a gaffe and that, uh, that President Biden hadn't meant anything but the black and tan comments and all, actually. Uh, it, yeah, but, but I mean, th- with Brexit, um, the, the kind of informal channels of communication between uh, ministers of all levels, London and Dublin, you know, they'd be in Brussels, they'd be, you know, they'd be having all of these regular meetings. A lot of business, as you say, it's a contact sport. A lot of business gets done in that way. Now, any such meetings because of Brexit, they're happening out side of the mm. European Union mm. and th- there's a yeah. m- more maybe a distance there that wasn't there before. Yeah, All I think it's a huge disadvantage yeah, for sure Yeah, that you have those institutions up and around but I think what he said yesterday in terms of the British government playing a bigger role I mean it goes back to the British and the Irish government being both guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement and what needs to be done there and what's yet to be implemented of the Good Friday Agreement so I think it opens up things rather than closing things down. But he, d- he didn't push the envelope really in terms of maybe reframing the institutions because uh, you know Mm. that Naomi Long is saying hang on there is a middle ground here Mm. that is neither uh, one thing or the other and we need to to be guaranteed a place Mm. and uh, I think you have to be very careful about unravelling the Good Friday Agreement, but we have to look at, I suppose it being 25 years on, but uh, but, but not to unravel it because it's an international, legally binding yeah. agreement. It's what we have and what we no, have to work with. But if you had with. majority politics like we have in, in uh, the Republic, um, you could have uh, Sinn Féin and the Alliance or the DUP and mm. the Alliance forming mm. a majority government and, mm. ru- and, and uh, Stormont would never mm. um, be and out there's of a, But there's a generation of people in Northern Ireland that... I think are starting to have not the same attachment to the Good Friday Agreement that many uh, people in my generation have because they're not seeing the institutions work and I think that's that's worrying in the longer term. Larry mentioned the nostalgia uh, and I think we shouldn't gloss over that because of course it's a huge personal story for him to talk about the journey sure. his family has made but I think he's also using this visit to send that signal to migrant communities in the United States not just the Irish American community to say that you know he he's somebody who believes in migration and who believes in the journey that people can make and the possibilities of that so I think he, he used he it, it, of course it was very personal you saw when he looked up to the to the skylight and he he, t- he said mom I wish you were here but there's a broader message being sent I think politically Larry, there yeah I, I think to Paul's point I think he's absolutely right I mean this is a guy who's sort of legendary for looking back and telling stories about the old days but if I had to label Joe Biden now I'd almost label him a futurist I was mm. really struck mm. by some of the things he said uh, about you know he hadn't intended to run for president again in 2020 he was writing a book and instead uh, about the challenges society is facing in the wake of you know AI in the wake of techno- technological advances climate change all these sorts of things and he p- presents all these challenges but he doesn't do so in a Dow way he's an optimist mm-hmm. he thinks that we can do these things we can get them across the line uh, and I was really struck by that as somebody you know who's regarded as too nostalgic etc um, he really is he says the Irish are nostalgic about the future mm-hmm. well he certainly is okay I want to play something for you now and, and this is a uh, apropos of Joe Biden running again and he has yet to declare formally but he has indicated his intention to run again. Uh, Donald Trump invited uh, Tucker Carlson of Fox for a chat and they talked about everything including strangely enough um, it seems that Trump is kind of suggesting that he's in conversation with Putin regularly and uh, he had tough words to say to President Xi he warned him don't you dare set foot in Taiwan or you'll know what what's what's what anyway he got talking about Joe Biden and his age as the election approaches have a listen to this do you think Biden will stay in the race look uh, I, I watch him just like you do and I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it 
but I deal with other people. I don't see, I don't see how it's possible. And it's not an age thing. You know, they like to say, I have friends that are 88, 89, 92. Bernie Marcus, Home Depot is 95. Smart as hell, he's sharp as he was. I mean, he's, you know, mentally, Bernie Marcus, Home Depot, founder of Home Depot, one yeah. of the founders. I mean, it, I had a meeting with him a few months ago. He was 100%. I, I know people that built their fortunes from 80 to 90. They were always struggling, and they made a fortune from 80 to 90. A couple of people in particular. It's a, you know, amazing. He's not too old. You know, his age, I think they do the age thing because I'm four or five years behind. They say, this is a way of getting Trump. Let's go. Home. But there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. When I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer. Now, uh, that's Trump self-serving uh, as usual. It's pretty appalling stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, that's, you know, if Donald Trump gets the Republican nomination, which is not a done deal in my estimation, but if he does, uh, I think we can expect plenty of that uh, to be deployed on the, the campaign trail. Now, the question, become, and a lot of Americans share those concerns, it should be said, including behind closed doors, an awful lot of Democrats. Uh, so there is, you know, some efficacy potentially to that, unless he goes over the line. Now, one of the things I thought Joe Biden did very, very well, and it was actually taking a, a page out of Ronald Reagan's book, was when he said, you know, I'm at the I'm I'm of a certain age. You you guys can all tell. And he said, you know, it gives you experience, but also doesn't give you many excuses. And it was to kind of be self-deprecating about it. If you remember, Ronald Reagan said, "I will not, you know, make use age. age make age an issue to exploit my opponent's, you know, inexperience, etc." That self-deprecating stuff works, and it resonates with yeah. the American people, especially you know not not just older voters, but people who you know who have vulnerabilities, etc. Uh, so if Biden does that, I think that's an effective way of tackling the attacks that are very sure to come. If Donald Trump's a nominee, but if somebody like Ron DeSantis is the nominee, he won't talk about age directly. But Joe Biden will have a job of work to do against a 44-year-old man on a on a debate stage. Uh, and that's the point. He, he might not be that quick on his feet. On not that he ever has been that quick on his feet. No, and you know, this is one of the things when he says, he talked about the theme of possibilities and that uniting island in America. I think in many ways he was talking about himself. This idea uh, that, you know, he said nothing's impossible. This guy who had a stutter, who lost his wife and child in an accident, all these sorts yeah. of things, and went on to be president of the United States. Rose? Yeah, I suppose what he speaks to me is of possibilities all the time, and I thought that theme from yesterday, and coming as, uh, you know, his forefathers had come as immigrants uh, from County Mayo, th that anything is possible, and anything is possible if people work together with the right uh, with the right vision and the right thing in mind. I think that's much more important than whatever yeah. age somebody is. But also, you can have somebody who has, you know, vast experience, wisdom, as he said yesterday, bringing uh, to the table that uh, may, may, may you may not find yeah, somebody Look, earlier in their career. Incumbency is a huge benefit when you're running for any political office. And I think one of the issues that we see in the United States is there are huge barriers to entry to politics. And that's to do with fundraising and lots of lots of other issues. Uh, I, I've been struck by um, how Irish po politics is a far more younger game uh, than, 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 than US politics. And that's not to say that people of all ages can, can't and shouldn't, shouldn't contribute. But I think there's a broader point there around the issue of incumbency and the difficult difficulties for younger people to enter American politics because of campaign uh, financing and, and, and so on. And so it, it, the strategists, I always say that, that politics is a blood sport with human victims and the strategists kind of don't care too much about the, the candidates. They want to win. And if they think, Bi if they think Biden can win, they, they will be pushing Biden to run.
All right. Now, we were going to talk about artificial intelligence. We'll park that maybe for another day uh, because uh, in the next election, we won't know what's what's fake or real when we're looking at videos of candidates. uh, It could be a bot in disguise. I do want to talk about teachers, though, and an urban or Dublin allowance, particularly, Rose. Mm. What's your party's position on that? And I heard you talk about London waiting yesterday, something that I'd be very familiar with. Um, The unions obviously see difficulties with that and there can be difficulties with it. And I suppose somebody again coming from the West I would look at the regional disparities as it is and we know that the gaps in wages of somebody from the West of Ireland and somebody in Dublin is big as it is so you have to be careful that you're not opening up even bigger inequalities yeah, teachers there. teachers are on a, an equal pay scale irrespective yeah. of where they live a yeah. lot cheaper to live in Mayo yeah. than it would be yeah. in Dublin. But it's not just about teachers of course it's across the whole sector of how we ensure that workers can live near to their work and I think that's one thing that maybe be a bit lost in the whole housing debate if people think I'm all right, Jack, because I have my home. If you don't have somebody to teach your children and don't have a nurse in the hospital mm. and you don't have a guard in the guard station, then that creates huge societal problems. So to me, it goes back to housing and supply and affordable and people being able to afford yeah. to live in this country. Yeah, but you're so. kicking for touch on this one in the sense that no. you, you don't think teachers and maybe nurses and key workers are special cases that all workers would have to be accommodated mm-hmm. We will engage in That'd the be a national yeah, pay rise. Yeah, we will we will engage in the discussions with the unions and the people who are involved in this. But uh, I think to 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 make any decision yeah. at this particular time. Well, it was in interesting to listen to the interview yesterday, yeah. and I suppose the London system, you know, it's really part of a pay policy. You know, you get more if you're in the position longer. So that doesn't really reflect housing costs. Um, you, if you have different posts of seniority, you receive gre- uh, a greater London allowance. Yeah. So I I, I think. But it is part of salary. It's it's not. It a tax-free allowance. It, no, it, no, it is part of salary. And so I, I think it's more part of public sector pay policy in the UK than it is an acknowledgement of a specific uh, regard for professions. What we need to do is get housing right. That's the mm. number no, number one issue. Now, Larry, and I, I, I think to alter public sector pay policy just for that issue would be wrong. But I wouldn't dismiss the idea that in the longer term, we're going to have to look at the idea of uh, of having more weight for people who want to work, particularly in disadvantaged areas where school, where working in a school like that can be quite okay, challenging. Larry, how do they handle it in metropolitan USA? Is, are there special allowances for teachers in New York, for, in, for instance? Not that I'm aware of. There certainly aren't in Boston. Uh, when it comes to this idea, uh, I'm, I'm sympathetic off the bat because I know how expensive it is to live in Dublin. But I wonder about the implementation. I speak about this in particular with respect to the Dublin commuter belt and where I live in Wicklow, where the costs of housing and rental are extremely high. Now, if we're going to say this is purely an urban solution, we're going to focus in on the five cities. Where does that leave teachers, etc., in a county like Wicklow, where the cost of living is really, really high? And it's I, not particularly maybe urban where no, you live. No, uh, the, the argument would be that in London, for example, if you're in the inner band, you get a, a, an extra so many thousand. Mm. If you're in an outer band, you get less. And if you're on the fringe, you get less again. Um, but you're saying that in Wicklow, yeah. you'd need city centre allowances mm. to, to make it viable. If you look if you look at a place like Bray or Greystones, you're talking pretty close to Dublin mm. city centre re- rentals. You know, it, that's 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 the reality of it. So how do you do it? I mean, that's that's the question. And then you could have a situation where, you know, in the commuter belt, there are people commuting into Dublin who are getting, you know, the, the Dublin bump and then people are working closer to home. They're not getting it. All that stuff needs to be ironed out. I'm sympathetic to the idea off the top, but I can see a lot of logistical and implementation problems. And it would have yeah, to expand to guards mm. and nurses, uh, 
beyond, beyond yeah. teachers. And also, I don't know what sort of pay rise you could give people that would make up for the difficulties that we have in the cost of housing. And I say that as, as somebody who's supporting a government that's trying to solve the housing crisis. So housing doing is the issue here. Job we should, we should, we well, I would say doing a bad job. It. Did you see the teachers union yesterday as well calling for the the eviction ban to be uh, to be to be reintroduced as well? They see all the problems that are going to to be around that. So I think it really all comes back again to housing uh, more than anything else. But of course, the cost of living as well and what the government are not doing in order to be able to tackle all those things. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to draw to a close because Rose has to hit the road. Yes, I do. All the way to to knock and then Ballina. Could I just say as well, we're delighted to have Richie Neal with him because there's a huge fondness for Richie Neal in Mayo and for his first ever campaign manager who was from Black Sod, uh, Kathleen Murphy, who passed away recently. And Richie Neal did a wonderful um, um, tribute to her as well. Wasn't it? Tip O'Neill said all, all politics. politics. Is local. You took the words out of my mouth, yeah. Pat. She <laughs> goes to the Holyoke Parade in Massachusetts yeah, and Richie yeah. Neal. And Look, it's like to see local politics. <laughs> uh, Paul McAuliffe, Larry Donnelly, and Rose Conway Walsh, thank you all very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.